All right, Jersey Sunday. How many of you have already tuned me out because you've already looked at the jersey that I'm wearing? We're going to talk about judgment today in the church. I'm changing the message. Uh, hey, there's haters, there's winners. Dan will tell you, right, Dan? There's haters and there's winners. We'll talk about that on a different day. As I was telling Stu during our fantasy football draft this week, I said, Stu, can you count? That's all I got to say. Five Super Bowls. All right, here we go. So let's get to something spiritual. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, is this why I came to church? No, but we do have fun and uh, we do have a fantasy football league and we've been enjoying that. We said this would be Jersey Sunday just to have fun and see who your team is and who you root for. Uh, but we've been doing a series in Ephesians. We're going to continue that series. And so if you haven't already, grab a Bible. There's one in front of you or underneath you. If you're in the front, you can use your phone. You'll want to turn to the book of Ephesians, which we've been walking through as a church. And one of the overarching themes that you continue to hear in this book, which is a great theme, is this specific theme, that Paul is writing this church and he's talking about love and he's talking about unity. We said at the very beginning of this series that in this one epistle, this one letter that Paul writes, he uses the word love more times than in any other letter he wrote to the church. And what's interesting about the fact that he does that is this is the church that when you fast forward to the end, you know, if you're one of those people that you read a book and you peek to the end to see what happens, you fast forward to Revelation and you find that this specific church is the one that the apostle John says, through Jesus, you've lost your first love. And so John and Paul were on the same page. Paul saw it coming and John kind of exposed it in the book of Revelation. And as we've walked through this book, here's some of the themes that we've hit. We talked about in the first five chapters how Paul dealt with God's election and his love. And so Pastor Bud kicked us off on that. We talked about his love and how it's connected to grace, God's unmerited favor. We talked about the oneness and the equality of faith and how it levels everything. We talked about the transformation that leads to people actually being incorporated into the body, which he talks a lot about in this book. And we also talked about last week the expanding role of the church and how that's connected to community and how that's also connected to our families. Pretty cool. So what are we going to do this week? Bud's like, man, I don't know where you're going to go. This is going to be fun. We're going to talk about God's formula for change. God's formula for change. So before we get into the text, let me give you some background of text and also talk about just some of the things happening in our culture. And a lot of you know I'm a very apolitical person. I don't do politics from the pulpit. Never believe in that. But I want to talk about cultural components. And right now in our culture, when you watch the TV, you see protests and counter-protests and angry people and other angry people. And there's all kinds of clashes that are happening throughout our nation. One of the reasons why I believe that this is happening is we've lost the ability to have healthy conversations in this nation. Amen. That's happened. So now that's not political. That's not about a certain party. We just have lost the ability to have mutual respect for people that sometimes think and believe differently than we do. And in this passage, you're going to see that Paul's going to be approaching a topic. And, in, and what's interesting to me is it's a controversial topic, not only in our day, but it was a controversial topic in his day. And he could have said, hey, you guys get together, get organized, you know, get yourself a lobby group, you know, and go ahead and start just pulling the, you know, Rome. You know, get over there and make a change. Get organized. But when you get in this text, you're gonna see Paul doesn't do any of that. And before we get into the text, let me tell you what the, the topic is about. Paul's gonna be specifically addressing the topic of slavery and slavery in Rome. So let me tell you what slavery was like. Most of all the labor that was done in Rome was done by slave labor. They, they really didn't even have people that they hired for low labor anymore because they had become so dependent upon slave labor. 
So it was the predominant labor used in this particular part of the world at this particular time. And so as Paul's about to, to kind of attack this and deal with this, it's interesting how he does so. And so his view of slavery, before we get there, so you don't prejudge Paul, was he wasn't for it. He was against it. In fact, if you want to know more about that, not in this book, go to um, Philemon or Philemon, I don't want to say it. You go there and you'll see a whole cool story of Paul dealing with this issue and a guy who had come to know Jesus, known Onesimus, and he, cool name, isn't it? I dare you name your kid that. We got to name some of our kids some of this cool stuff again, okay? So, but he sends, Elijah's good though. So he sends this guy back to Paul and he says, hey, I know that you're an indentured servant. I know that you're a slave. And then when he sends him back, he says, hey, by the way, master, he's free in Christ, so be careful. Okay, so Paul wasn't a fan of this and he even told people in other parts of the, of the New Testament that if they can gain their freedom to do so. So when we come to this text, all of that, to look and to peer into what Paul's about to say to this church about this very controversial issue. So in verse 5, starting in chapter 6. So Ephesians 6, verse 5, let's look at what the apostle had to say. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward those for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So you see this again. You see these recurring themes, right? This leveling theme of all people are on level ground. We're going to talk about that. You also see within this that Paul's not an advocate of slavery. He's not saying this is a good thing. But what he is saying is, is in this context, in this situation, I'm going to show both the person that's the owner and both the person that's actually a slave how to actually move forward contextually in this culture. And he doesn't say, rise up and make a stink. He says, it's all connected to your faith. So let's walk through what's there and see if there's something there for us in our context, in our culture today. And the first thing you need to understand is humility and strength are not mutually exclusive. Humility and strength are not mutually exclusive. Now, if you're not used to those words or kind of looking at those, let me break that down for you. In our culture, here's what we think. We need to have our voice louder. We need to have our voice on social media. We need to have the coolest whatever to draw the attention to who we are and raise our agenda, what we want. I had a person one time when I was starting this church came to me and says, now, Larry, you need to get your own website. I'm like, we got one. It's called Grace. He's like, no, no, your own with your own name on it. I'm like, why? Well, you need to start drawing people and branding your name. I'm like, I thought the whole point of being a Christian was to brand his name, you know, Christ's name. That's already been branded on me. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You're a marketable asset, so you need to market that asset so you can actually reach people with the good news. And I'm like, I think that you're thinking and my thinking is radically different. Because I'm thinking the only reason that I've been put here is to keep pointing people over here to Christ. That's the only reason I've been placed here. And it was so foreign to this person because they had grown up with a, a public relations background and they'd grown up in this current generation and some people had poured into this person and given them the idea that it's all about having the loudest voice and the most controversial voice. Check your media out. You ever look at your media? What hits the media is what's sensational, what gets you and my blood pumping, what makes us mad, what makes us raise our hands in the air. Why? Because it sells. 
My mother years ago, I told you this at the beginning of the series, told me something that I thought she was just being, you know, cynical. She said, Larry, you want to know why things work in the world the way they work? Follow the money. And I'm like, Mom, you're just cynical. And the older I get, the more I understand she was right. You understand why these things work, why people want their voices heard, because they want to draw attention to a certain thing, not because that they're always passionate about it. Many times it's about all the different monies that are connected to it. And you see this over and over again. And when you're looking at verses 5 through 6, he says, doing the will of God from where? Your heart. Not because you're going to get attention, not because it's going to do something that's just going to further your cause because you like the cause, but it furthers Jesus' cause. And that takes humility because I got some stuff I like, right? I got some stuff I like. You know, we could be promoting something different, but I'm supposed to only promote Christ. And that's what this passage is hitting at. And they're not mutually exclusive. And you see them in some really good people throughout history. Dr. Martin Luther King. You ever read his stuff? Oh, my goodness. You ever read his letters from Birmingham jail? Probably one of the smartest human beings I've ever read. Because when you realize you're reading his letters, he's not got a library. He's not got an iPhone. Okay, He's not got anything around him. And he's quoting scripture after scripture. He's quoting Socrates. He's quoting Aristotle. He's bringing all this stuff together to bear on a social issue in his day. And he did it all without any violence. He did it all with peace. And he did it all based on his relationship with the living Jesus. Pretty cool. There was humility there. And yet there was strength when you heard him give a speech, when you heard him talk. Where did he get that from? From Christ. When you look at Jesus, you see the same thing, right? You see this incredible humility, but yet the strength. Where's the strength from, come from? It comes from the resolve that you understand the mission. And the mission's not my mission. It's not your mission. It's his mission. And when we get those two things together, that's where real change begins to happen. That's why we have to understand this. The second thing is cultural injustice does not define us. That's the thing we've got to understand. Cultural injustice does not define our nation. Cultural injustice does not define you. Cultural injustice when done to you doesn't define you or when you even do it by accident. It doesn't define you. Cultural injustice is just a part of being in culture, okay? Put people together that are messed up people, guess what happens? Injustice happens. It's just part of the deal. Look what he says in verse 7. As if you are serving the Lord, not men. This is the key to this. So when these cultural injustices happen, when they come about, what I'm trying to do is go, okay, where can I bring Jesus' name fame and where can I actually bring people's hearts toward him? Not get so focused on why I feel wronged, why I feel the injustice was impunged on me and why I'm justified in making a great argument. No, it's more about can I take what's happened to me and turn it around to give Christ glory. Again, two guys out of history that did this, a lot of women did as well, just two guys that I'd read that I love, is Martin Luther, different Martin Luther, okay? And during a huge injustice, when he was seeing the church do all kinds of atrocities, he could have stood up and just started a whole revolt. People did after him, by the way, but he didn't. He actually said, I want to reform the church. I want to change the church. I want to bring the church back to this loving scripture and loving this living relationship with Jesus. He didn't start a riot. He started a movement. And it began with his focus on his living relationship with Jesus. Another guy is John Wesley. If you grew up West, uh, Methodist, you, you should know about Wesley. If you don't, it means that nobody ever told you about him. But here's the coolest thing. This guy wanted the same thing. All of a sudden, his life got radically transformed. He started this new living relationship with Jesus. And he went to start telling people in the church about this thing. And they said, you can't preach that in here. He's like, for real? Not that way, but that's, you know, for real. And the next thing you know, he says, we're going to have a gathering. Where? Out in the graveyard. First message he preached after he got set free of religion was on his daddy's tombstone. 
As he preached this message, he wanted people to know this freedom that was found in Christ. This freedom. He was not defined by the culture. He was not defined by the injustice of the church. In the same heart, he didn't want to destroy the church. He wanted to reform the church. So instead of pointing the finger at them, he kept pointing the finger again to Christ. And that cultural injustice did not define him. And he had one of the coolest movements that you've ever seen in that era. Third thing when you're looking through this you need to understand about this component is the gospel levels all social definitions. It levels all social definitions. Verse 9 is so awesome. He who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Isn't that cool about God? He doesn't have favorites. He loves every one of us. He wants every single thing the same in each of our lives. And all of this is connected to the gospel. Now, I've used the word the, the gospel a few times this morning, but maybe you don't know the gospel, okay? Because you hear it, the gospel means good news, right? Here's a really cool way to remember it. If you've never heard it and you never had someone have a chance to present it to you, here's a great way to remember the gospel. It's an acrostic. So you just write gospel like this. And then all you got to do is remember this. God, our sins, pain, everyone, life. I'll read that for you again. God, in the very beginning, God created everything. It was cool stuff. It was awesome. It was perfect. Then we jacked it up, our sins. Okay? That's the way it works. It still works today. God creates stuff. It's good. We mess it up, our sins. And then he sent Christ for one purpose, pain everyone life. He came so that you and I might have life, have it abundantly, have it full, not only in eternity, but right now, that our lives would have this fullness inside of us. That's the gospel. That's good news. Religion's not good news. Religion is captivity, right? You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, and mean hopefully one day you'll wake up and you'll be in heaven. And that, that sounds like hell, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know if you've ever been through that. But that's one of the things in this passage that he's trying to say. This gospel, this good news, it sets everybody free. Everybody free. Slaves and masters alike. And when it starts to set them free, they start thinking different. It's this kind of thinking that actually was the abolition of slavery. In fact, there's a little guy named John Newton. You guys heard of that dude? John Newton, he's not the guy that invented Fig Newtons, in case you were curious. Different dude, okay? But John Newton was this guy who wrote this cool hymn. Does anybody know what it is? Amazing Grace. Do you know what he did for a living? He, was a, he had a slave ship. And then his heart was transformed by the gospel, the good news, the understanding that he didn't deserve this. In fact, what he deserved was death for the things he had done in this life. But yet God, through his infinite mercy and his infinite love, had decided to save him and to give him an opportunity through this living relationship with Jesus. And the guy went in the ministry. He felt so convicted he needed to share this good news. And he got hanging out with a guy in Parliament, and started a movement based on the heart connected to Jesus' heart that all men are created equal. To be created, you got to have a creator. And he understood this. The gospel levels all this stuff. Here's what we do. We think if our voice is loud enough, we think if we've got a strong enough movement, we think if we've got enough money, if we've got enough power, we can change the heart of people. And every time we try to do that, we flip the gospel upside down. Because the gospel is about changing the heart first and then seeing behavior follow. It's different, isn't it? So here's how you do it. So how do you do this? Like, how do you connect this? Well, you become a change agent. And the first way it has to happen is you've got to become the agent yourself. So you have to learn to present the gospel. You have to learn to present it. A lot of people don't know how to. If you talk to Christians today and you say, hey, I want you to present your faith to your friend. This is like the number one fear. They're like, say what? Okay, I can't do that. And, like, and it just, it terrifies people. But here's the reality. When you learn to do this, now you're becoming a part of a movement that changes the hearts of people. 
And this change is lifelong change. It's real change. And it's as simple, you hear us say this all the time at Grace, and it really is as simple as A, B, C, right? We got the gospel, right? God, our sins, pain, everyone, life. Well, how do you present that to someone? Through your own story, how he changed yours. How did he change yours? There came a point in your life where you said, I have to admit before God that I'm jacked up. I'm messed up. I've got sin. I've hurt other people. I've hurt God's heart. And if you can't admit that, just live a little longer, okay? It'll happen. I've done it. I've done things that I'm incredibly ashamed of. I've done things that I wish I could take away, but I can't because they're in the past. They're done. And I have to come before God and admit to him, God, I, I messed up. And he's like, yeah, I know. The whole human race is this way. I'm like, I know I'm a part of it. And he says, but you got to believe in my one and only son. What he's done for you, that he paid for your sins personally, that his blood atoned for and covers over all the stuff you did and everything everybody else did. I understand your condition. You can't fix it, so I fixed it. That's God's heart. And I put all of my trust and my belief and my hope only in what Jesus has done because he knows if you left it up to me, it would be bad news, right? And then I commit my life to him. It's as simple as A and B and C. And when you understand that, it's so simple to present to another person because you're just thinking, I'm just telling them about the ABCs of how God changed my life. Here's the point at which I admitted. Here's the point at which I believe wholeheartedly in what Christ had done for me. And here's where I committed my life to him and get up every morning and continue to commit to him, right? That's simple, but you've got to learn that and you've got to own that. One of the things that we do in foundations, I'm glad Pastor Bud mentioned foundations, is the very first thing we do in this class is we teach you how to present the gospel so that you can do it on a napkin, on a piece of paper, in less than five minutes with your friend so that you can hear it in case you need to respond, but also so you can present it to people at any moment, in a restaurant, anywhere you are. The second thing is, you, if you really want to get a chart part of this movement, you've got to pray for and build relationships with people. Pray for and build relationships with people. Now, that sounds simple, but we don't do it. Here is something that is real. The longer you're a Christian, what kind of circles do you hang out in? Christian circles. So you don't actually begin to build new relationships. You just get comfortable with the relationships you have. Those are called cliques when you're in high school, right? I got my clique. This is my place, right? I'm hanging out, Right? Cowboy fans only hang out with cowboy fans. We can't hang out with Redskins fans, right? Especially Vikings. Okay, so, but you hang out. And you learn to build new relationships across those boundaries. And some of those boundaries are places where people don't agree with you. Those are the best relationships, by the way. People that think radically different than you do about different topics, political topics, religious topics, faith topics, community topics. Because when you're hanging out with them and you're building these relationships, you're not only impacting their life, but they're also able to share with you. How do you do that? Well, if you're in school, you can do it in school, by the way. When I was in graduate school, and Susan used to love this, one of the, my favorite people I was building a relationship with was an agnostic Buddhist. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. He was an agnostic Buddhist, okay? Like he had this Buddhist thing going on over here. Like I guess he could go lotus on somebody or something. But then over here, he wasn't sure if God really existed. So I'm going to meditate until I figure it out was kind of his philosophy, okay? And we got to hang out all the time. The guy owned like um, some, some big businesses. And he said, I was the first Christian that he had ever met that instead of judging him, wanted to have a conversation with him, to learn about him, to learn with him, to learn about leadership. And he started rethinking his faith. And what I found out as I began to learn his story was he was hurt deeply inside the church. And so that had given him a bad taste of who Jesus is because his only picture of Jesus had been people that were jacked up. And he needed a different and new picture. And that relationship began to build. NFL, oh my goodness. If you guys love sports, any sport, right? 
American football, the rest of the world's football. That's a whole reason to gather people around and hang out with different kinds of people. Bring them over to your house. Watch a game. Now, don't, now listen, if I invite you over to my house and we're watching a game, we talk spiritual stuff during commercials, okay, and at halftime, okay, but during the game, I'm not going to hear you anyway because I'm watching the game. So, but it's a cool time to hang out in it. You've got food there. You're hanging out with friends and you're getting to know them. One of the things I loved, we did our fantasy football draft recently here at the church was the hangout. We hung out with each other, learned about each other, learned about the different ways different people in our group were thinking, where they came from, you know, and it was so cool because that's how you get to know people. But you have to pray intentionally over these relationships because they don't happen by accident. You pray over them and it makes you aware of when God creates these. Restaurants is another way. I love going to new restaurants. I love it. But now I'll pick one out. Like, we haven't been there yet. Let's go see who's there, you know, who we can build a relationship with. We had a family that came here because Bud went to a restaurant and said, what do you do over Christmas? He built a relationship. He prayed before he went. These are real things. I mean, when you do this, God opens up these opportunities. One of my favorite places right now is the turtle. Okay, you get to meet a lot of people in the turtle, okay, green turtle. And one gal that keeps coming up, like, I know Bud's like, what? I get to meet all these cool people when I go there for lunch or a different snack or something. And they have half-priced appetizers, by the way. I like that at a certain time. And so this one gal comes over almost every time she sees me now, every time. And she tells me about her life. Tells me about the pain. She told me about three friends of hers that died of a heroin overdose last week. She tells me about a different friend she's lost to drunk driving. And she's pouring out the pain She's pouring out these things that she's admitting. She doesn't even know she's on her way to ABC yet. I do. She doesn't yet. But there's going to come a point where she's going to put her hope and faith in Christ. I know it. And I'm going to continue to pray for her and over her because I know it's coming. I know it's coming because I can see the pain that's in her life. Now she just needs the solution. And it'll happen as you build those relationships. Hobbies is another way to do it. I like to bike. Go biking. Bike with some friends. Video games. Some of you love video games. Play video games with friends. You know, Seth's going to be, um, next week, hopefully, he doesn't cancel one, but Seth's going to be baptizing one of his best friends here at this church because he played video games with him and built a relationship with him. These are real things that happen. We build real relationships with people. We pray over those relationships, and God opens these opportunities to present the gospel. And when you present the good news, hearts are changed. Then behavior follows. Don't mix that up. You don't change behavior, and then the heart comes. It's the other way around. Third thing is this. You present the gospel often. You've got to do it often. Because as you do it often, you get in the habit of actually how to present it, right? It's funny because um, as I learned how to present the gospel as a young Christian, I learned how to present it, I don't know, probably five, six different ways. And what's cool is as you learn different ways, you begin to find out your way of presenting this good news. And it's different for every person. Like I had a friend that used to do it this way. I wasn't a big fan of this one. He'd come up to you and it was very confrontational, which made me want to hit him because of my personality. But he'd come up to you and he'd go, if you were to die today and stand before a holy and righteous God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And my first response is like, you back off is what I would say because I'm about to knock you out because you're like really close, okay? And this is confrontational, okay? You're like, yeah, you're raising it up in me. But what I learned in his approach was that every one of us will one day stand before God, right? That's a pretty cool thing to understand. And all of us will have to give an account for what we say about Jesus and what we do with our life. So that's what I learned inside that system. Bill Bright had this other way. He'd say, uh, just like there's laws that govern the world, there's laws that govern your spiritual life. And he had things, something called the four spiritual laws. So I learned the four spiritual laws, pretty cool way. And then I learned a form called Socratic evangelism, which is where you just ask questions of people. And you know how to ask certain questions that lead to certain responses that you get to know their life better. I like that one the best because you get to learn the person's story. 
But what I found in all of them was this, those simple ABCs that I kept coming back to, the admitting, believing, and committing. And when I look, think about that, I think about all of us have this pain in our life and we need this point of admission. We need this point of release to say that this isn't right. We know that something's wrong with this world, but that believing in Christ is what's right. And that committing our life to him is a worthy endeavor with not only the first time, but the rest of our lives. Every funeral, every wedding I've ever done, I present this plan. Every time. It was funny, my wife attended a funeral a few months ago, and she came home. I said, so how was it? And that's kind of weird to ask about a funeral. Like, how was it? Was it a party? You know, how was it? And uh, it was, she said, it was good. And she said, it was good. And she says, but the preacher talked about Jesus. He talked around Jesus. He talked some good scriptures, but he never presented the gospel. She goes, I almost stood up in the middle of the funeral. I'm like, that would have been awesome. <laughs> I could just see her popping up going, you got to hear this gospel. And that's how you and I should feel. We should feel that way every time, that we can present the gospel, that we can present the good news in every situation. Now, why is this so important? Because activism is a part of change, but real heartfelt change is only found in the gospel. That's your last thought. That's why this is so absolutely important. You know, activists, I'm not saying they don't have an impact, okay? They do. But it's, you ever know it's called a movement because a movement begins and ends, right? For some of you daily, okay? But a movement begins and it ends. You know, this never ends. What Jesus started with this good news is still continuing over 2,000 years later. Why? Because it's about the change of a heart, not about the changing of a culture, not about the changing of a government. And this is why this is so important. So here's how I want you to respond, and Pastor Buzz is going to come up and lead us through a response a little bit, and, and we'll go into a time of giving you a chance to offer that back. But when you came in, you were given a bulletin like this. It's got a lot of cool information in it, but there's something called a Connect card in it, okay? And here's why this is important. You can put anything you want on this, okay? Any prayer that's burdening your heart, um, something exciting happening in your life, because we look at these every week, we pray over these, we take these serious. But here's what I'm going to ask you to think about this week, if you'll put it there. Is there an area in our country, an injustice, something that makes your blood boil? Write it down. Because we'll commit to pray over it with you. And then would you then put the name of one person? You don't have to put their first and last name. We're not going to contact them. but just And it can be a relationship, a friend. Okay, But one person that you want to start praying for, that you want that person to know the gospel that you want them to know the truth of what Jesus has done for them. And what we're going to do is we're going to commit to pray over what you put here. The area that you say is an injustice, we're going to pray with you over. That you'll actually intentionally, and you won't like this, <laughs> have people come into your life that think differently than you do on that issue. Because the issue is not the, the issue. The person is. And their heart for Jesus is the issue. So we're going to pray that you actually build an intentional relationship with that person and they'll come to know Jesus and then their view will change. Pretty cool. And if you've got a friend, a family member, a loved one, someone you're just burdened for, I want this person so desperately to know Jesus. Put their name. And again, if you don't feel comfortable, say my friend, my mom, my dad, anything like that. God knows what you intended when you put that name here. And we're going to continue to pray over them this whole week. And I guarantee you, you are going to see the power of the Holy Spirit move in your life. Not only in how he's going to change you on the issue that you put down, but also 
how he's going to create opportunities for you in that relationship. Because God moves when his people pray. I still don't understand it, but I believe it. How humbling is it to know that God would wait on you and I to pray, and then he would move in heaven. It blows me away. Because he's God, I'm not. And to think that he would wait on us is, again, so humbling. It's so profound. So let me pray for you, and then Pastor Bell will come up and give us some closing remarks, and then we were going to have a great weekend and week watching God move. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for each and every person that took time out of their Sunday to come to worship through song, God, to worship through their presence, to worship through their hearing of your word, the reading of your word, and God, the response to your Bible. God, as we respond by faith, as we respond knowing that you're going to move, I pray over right now, beginning this process, each and every issue that will be put down. It's important. But what's more important are the hearts behind the issue. So we pray over it and the people that are going to be impacted because of that issue. God, we pray over every name that will be written this morning, a name of someone who doesn't yet know you or is struggling with a relationship with you. God, we know that when we pray and we ask that you move in the life of that person. And it's exciting to be on the front end knowing that this prayer is going to begin a momentum that is going to move in that person's life. And even though we don't understand it, God, we're excited to see it happen. Thanks for how you're going to do this. And thanks for how you move in our midst every week, week in and week out, not only on Sunday, but throughout our whole week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.